You're listening to Parents You've Got This, the expert guide to parenthood. The complete guide to pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Parents You've Got This and proudly supported by Mastella. Mastella is a natural origin skincare for babies and children, recommended by healthcare professionals. Mastella by Parents Side since 1950. In this episode of the Expert Guide to Parenthood podcast, we are talking all about vaginal repairs, prolapse, abdominal repairs, pelvic floor and incontinence with our obstetrician expert, Dr. Peter Jesvik. Dr. Peter Jesvik has over 26 years of obstetric and gynaecological expertise. He specialises in high-risk pregnancies. He's also one of the Australian pioneers of the maternally assisted caesareans and we are so incredibly lucky to have him back on the pod today to talk to us about this important topic. Thanks for joining us, Pete. My pleasure. Let's start first about the traumas that a woman can experience with her vagina in birth and what some of the um, outcomes might be if those problems occur. Sure. So for Australian statistics, about 50% of women will have a normal vaginal delivery. That's the definition of pushing their own baby out themselves. And about 15%, one in seven, will have an assisted delivery with a forceps or vacuum. So 65% will have a baby coming through their vagina, their birth canal. In that process, the pelvic hammock, which is the levator anti muscle, uh, will be stretched. The vaginal walls will be stretched. The neck of the bladder will be stretched. And the foreshit, which is the opening of the vagina, will be stretched. And so in the process of that happening, we know that about 90 to 95% of women will get a tear of the perineum, which is the base of where the little bit of skin tissue between the bottom of the vagina to the anus is uh, and that can vary from a first through to a second third and fourth degree tear and the brevity and the definition is as per how much tearing there is there can also be some trauma to the mucosa of the vagina so the tissue can breach and you can get bleeding spots Uh, and then of course in the context of getting that stretching of those muscles the pelvic muscles and the pelvic tissue the bladder neck that can lead to down the track problems with prolapse and incontinence so we know that about 40 or so percent of women will have a degree of prolapse or incontinence if they have a vaginal birth mm, assisted good. assisted or, or, or you know pushing out themselves and that can lead to about potentially one in 10 women needing to have a doctor visit and medication uh, advice and you know, a surgical correction uh, and even up to about a third of those surgical corrections can require recorrections and so if you think about the large number of women having babies and you think about those statistics that means there's a lot of trauma that the vagina goes through the local pelvic anatomy goes through just to have a baby yeah that's huge and what also there's other problems that you can have you know after having a child like abdominal separation incontinence um, can you talk about some of those problems sure so you have two cells a sperm and an egg that forms a human being and the average human being baby is going to be three and a half kilos So you've got a three and a half kilo baby in your abdomen by the end of the pregnancy on average. There's also the uterus that's housing it, the placenta, the fluid around it. And so all of that then of course distends the abdomen. So we want to know what a pregnant belly looks like. Now you have your rectus muscles, your rectus abdominis muscles. There comes a point where they can't just stretch out. They have to stretch apart. So everyone will get a degree of separation. Uh, The degree will vary from person to person. Uh, and there can be some mitigating factors to that, you know, first pregnancy versus third, family history, personal connective tissue issues and so on. A lot of the time it's unpredictable and bad luck as to how much separation you'll get. But that separation is not ideal uh, for you in terms of 
for simple things like cosmetics, if that's important to you, but most importantly for comfort, because you're using your core with your back to help support you and keep you upright and keep you strong. And if you start to lose that strength here, you're relying a lot on your back, hormonal laxative, your back joints, over-exaggeration of your muscles in your back, and back pain, back pain can become quite crippling. So that's just in relation to uh, the conversation about rectus separation. In terms of the pelvic floor and incontinence, as I alluded to before, once that baby comes through, it is going to stretch that anatomy. And if you stretch that anatomy, it can lead to weakness and that can lead to then things hanging down. Yes. So people can feel lumps, feel a dragging sensation, the sense of a prolapse. Sometimes it's purely just an appearance that can be seen by a doctor such as myself where examination will reveal the laxity on the front and the back wall and there are different gradings of laxity and prolapse first second third degree and then of course the bladder neck normally when as a person we cough our bladder neck our, bladder, our pelvic muscle engages and what it does is it actually constricts the outlet of the bladder the urethra and so you don't lose control of your bladder but if you stretch the muscle and you stretch the outlet of where the bladder neck is then all of a sudden when you cough it doesn't contract, it basically can almost open. And so that is why sometimes women will experience losing control of their bladder when they've had a, a baby previously. And there'll be different things that will contribute to that, not just the birthing process, but how big was the baby? Mm. Uh, did you have an assisted birth, you know, a forceps vacuum, because that can create a bit more of an issue. Uh, do you have a personal risk factor based on family history? As you age and menopause approaches, you can start to lose tone because of the changes in the reproduction and in the anatomy because of estrogen changes and so all of these things can contribute to having a life impediment which can be something simple that you may not articulate to anybody not even friends or might require a trip to a doctor to discuss and fix so pete how are these things diagnosed and if someone is you know experiencing symptoms how do they know sort of what's normal and what's not is it something that you talk to them about at the six-week check um, or how does that process work yeah. So certainly in, at the six-week check of the multitude of things that I would talk to a woman with, you know, asking how the baby's going and feeding, uh, I would always have a very, very strong conversation with them about pelvic floor tone and the importance of doing your, as they're previously called, Kegel exercises to engage your pelvic muscles because you can rehabilitate the pelvic muscles if you do those exercises. Of course, there's a limit to how much you can rehabilitate tissue if it's been badly damaged. And I would certainly like to think as an obstetrician that I'd be doing all in my power to help to deliver you or, you know, you deliver your baby, but I support you to minimise any trauma to those very important pelvic structures, that muscle, the bladder neck, the vagina. Um, so certainly I would be talking to you about that. I'm a big fan of going and doing Pilates. Pilates is a fantastic form of rehabilitation because it's across the board. It's you know, your core, your abdomen, your back, your pelvic floor. Um, seeing a physiotherapist who's a pelvic health physiotherapist and having a formal consultation and then having ongoing feedback support from that person, really, really important. So I would be going through all of that at that visit yeah. um, and, and seeing if that would provide you with some improvements. In terms of hopefully not having that level of brevity of problem in the first place, which will be experienced a number of ways, from a lump, uh, through losing control of your bladder, a dragging sensation, maybe intercourse has become a bit uncomfortable. Um, what it would require is you being examined by a physio with pelvic health expertise or an obstetrician who's got some specialisation in uh, you know the gynecological anatomy and an understanding of how that might look and appear and we can grade it and write notes and then give you further advice depending on what that advice requires.
And because you might not know straight away, it might be a problem, I guess, that develops you know, after the six-week check or further down the track, you know, as we go through menopause, there's changes that happen to our body again. Um, but say that you've gone to see um, a physio and you've worked out that there's no other option to get help other than surgery. Mm. Can you talk about surgery for some of these problems, um, starting, I guess, with the vagina mm. um, and the issues that you alluded to earlier on? Yeah, so it's a multifactorial thing in the context of what is the problem and what is the problem to you. Um, you know, I can examine a woman and see what I would grade as a low-grade degree of prolapse, so only minor deficiencies in the front wall, which is where the bladder is, the back wall, where the bowel is. The cervix, the, the outlet of the, uh, the uterus, is not coming down into the vagina as far as I might have anticipated. Uh, you, you lose control of your bladder just when you have a cold only, um, and you're able to exercise reasonably well. So you would argue that doesn't sound like it's too bad as a level of symptoms compared to other women, but to you it's a problem. Okay, so if it's a problem to you, then it's a problem. And then, of course, there are the extremes where women have just complete insensible loss of urine. They literally can sometimes be sitting there and, oh, my gosh, I've just wet myself, didn't even realise. They've got the actual uterus almost coming out completely. Um, when you do an examination, there is significant what we call grade 3 deficiencies in the front wall, the sister seal, back wall, rectus seal, and it's really obvious. They have to manually put their finger in the vagina so they can defecate, empty their bowels, because otherwise they can't empty their bowels. That is obviously significant. But again, everyone's individual tolerance of their symptoms, irrespective of how bad it looks mm -hmm. for me, as the person examining you, is variable. And so then when it comes to that point where you've come to see me and it's a failed attempt as we would call it with physio and Pilates, then generally speaking the options become surgical. There are some pessaries that can be used depending on the person and the circumstances, but often it will end up with surgery and the surgery is very much considered in relation to are we fixing bladder tone to control incontinence, are we fixing prolapse to stop the organs falling out and replace the anatomy to where it was, are we dealing with premenopausal or postmenopausal tissue? Are we dealing with a woman who is 40 and still has children and life issues to deal with because there is a recovery component? Or are we dealing with someone in their late 70s where circumstances are a bit different? So the surgeries can vary, but certainly the surgeries, as all surgeries do, carry risks. And as much as the, uh, the specialisation of these surgeries is improving year in, year out, you know, there is still potentially even a failure component to those surgeries in terms of absolute efficacy. So my saying is always if you can avoid surgery, it's best. If you do surgery, you want that surgery to be a one-stop shop. Yeah. And does it last though, Pete? Or is there like a lifespan on the surgery, say, you know, five, 15 years sure. before you need to get it again? Sure. So certainly in the infancy of when I was doing my training many years ago, uh, a lot of the surgery was focusing on some stitches around the bladder neck, uh, some stitches that were largely confined to the vagina, what we call anterior-posterior repairs. We could try to fix the top of the vagina to the pelvic sidewall called a sacrospinous. And that was kind of, these were the operations de jour to help. But then with the evolution of laparoscopic techniques, with the evolution of our understanding of uh, the anatomy better and how there are deficiencies in these surgeries, and for example, that surgery could potentially have a failure rate within the first year of up to 10%, by five years up to 20 to 30%. That's significant for someone mm -hmm. who's having that surgery at a young age. So we fast forward to now in some of the contemporary surgeries, and you, know, you don't have to look any of this up, but a, a sacrocopopexy with perhaps a hysterectomy if it's appropriate, uh, using some safe internalised meshes to insert internally 
hook the tissue up, front, back walls, top of the vagina, can provide very enduring and, dare I say, a one-stop shop operation that could last you from 40 all the way through to, you know, your dying years. But there is always a chance as tissue ages, as you continue day in, day out to exert pressure on your pelvic anatomy, because that's what we do in every part of our life, tissue can sometimes weaken again. So there is always potentially a fail rate and the challenges of repeat surgery in that situation. And can they go about their normal life if you've had surgery or do you have to like not exercise or you can still exercise like you used to? The whole idea is to have you live your life normally. Mm -hmm. So if you've gone from being a woman who pre-children and will assume childbirth has contributed largely to this issue and you wish to be the same as you were, the whole aim of the surgery is to achieve that outcome. And so yes is the answer, albeit there of course has to be an early rehabilitation phase. So that's why, for example, if you're going to have a large sacral plexi bladder neck suspension, big operation for a significant prolapse for a woman who's got three children who might still be you know, going to school and you're doing the runarounds and working and living life, uh, that is going to be very challenging to work out how you can factor that in in your recovery where you might need several months of really keeping it very simple, which may not be practical. So all of that's going to be considered by your surgeon. So Pete, we've talked about recovery. Um, is, it, is there a timeline on that recovery of a couple of months or something like that to get over the surgery? Or is there sort of no one size fits all because it is so dependent on the, the surgery sure. and your age? So it would certainly be a few months of recommending you keep it simple. Now keeping it simple is not lying flat in bed. That might just be the first few days after the surgery. It's really just the level of exercise that you'd be returning to. Um, one of the great tricks on that particular comment, and this is a very generalised statement, so I'm, I'm very happy for people to critique it, but for women who have a baby and have a vaginal delivery and the baby crowns through the pelvic floor, the vagina, the perineum, and hopefully with very little in the way of significant deficiencies in all of that tissue with very little tearing and stitch requirements and so on, after that to then go back and say, well, I wish to be a runner again or I wish to go back into pump classes, I think you'll find that your body may not like that. Mm. And because we are so blessed nowadays to have so many different ways of keeping fit and exercising, I would urge you to really consider your running career. Now, I know that sounds like a very sort of controversial thing to say because if my memory um, reminds me, there was a, a woman who ran a marathon after she had a baby, you know, so yeah. it can <laughs> be it done. Can it, it can be done. So mm. there are always exceptions to the rule. But for the vast majority of women, your body will take a bit of a hit when you're pushing three and a half kilos of baby out through an area that we know is really arguably the size destined for really maybe a small kiwi fruit. Mm. And so it's not surprising there's a distortion in the anatomy. And um, you need to be very mindful of that. Mm. And so what sort of um, surgery would you have for abdominal separation? Sure. So physiotherapists will say if you do your core rehab, that about 90 to 95% of women will be able to get their rectus muscles back into the midline again. Um, there, of course, is going to be potentially some changes from just the distension of the skin, and so sometimes people will get the stria, the stretch marks, which may cosmetically not appeal to them, or they may actually have an overhang of redundant skin, and dare I say, in really extreme and unfortunate situations, we get this classic peau d'orange sort of change where you get this really wrinkled skin sort of you know, coming out from the navel, which is just for the person a cosmetic concern, and understandably so. 
And then, of course, there can be those women, if you can't get your muscles back either through lack of effort or just can't, you've got these skin changes and you're starting to get issues with your back because you've lost your core, mm -hmm. there may be a, a, an advantage beyond just pure cosmetics. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to say, I want to look better again, yeah. you know, but also I'm actually physically uncomfortable and my back's a problem. To go and meet with a plastic surgeon and discuss having an abdominoplasty which is where they'll placate the muscles back together, excise the redundant skin. It's a big operation. Uh, as a FYI, a caesarean section might be a sort of a little nine to 10 centimetre incision above the pubic bone. This is an operation which cuts you from hip to hip. Wow. Okay, um, and then there's you know massive skin pull down and so on, and it's pretty sore afterwards, um, and you're bandaged up and very restricted. But that can be a life-changing procedure for the person who wants it or needs it. And so <clears throat> if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a baby soon. I hope I don't end up in this situation with all of these surgeries. Or I'm a runner and I, I want to run marathons forever. What is your advice about mitigating some of the risks to potentially end up with surgery down the track? Yeah. So you'd almost think like my answer would be, well, just have a Caesar and that will fix the problem. You're not actually pushing a baby through the birth canal. And you can almost make an argument that there is an argument there to be made. But I think it's really just having a clear understanding of birth outcomes, 50%, 15%, et cetera, tear rates, 40%, things you can do to prepare to try to mitigate tearing. And you know, we talk about perineal massage, the Epino, which is a product I'm very much a fan of, to try to at least minimise the tear component, which is important, to hopefully have very, very considered decisions made during your birth process where you're flexible with the outcome and you have a, a supporting doctor, midwife, doula, who will be flexible in what happens dynamically during your labour so that if it's looking like it's not going to be an easy birth to make appropriate decisions and so on. In other words, to not create the problem in the first place. But I think for those listening in, there has to be an acceptance and an understanding that the statistics we have, the 40% prolapse rates and incontinence rates, the 1 in 10 surgical rates, the redo rates, these statistics have been garnered over many, many, many years over millions and millions and millions of deliveries. So there's no question about the data. The data is there. And there's an expression, you won't see many nuns with prolapse, okay? <laughs> yeah, and right. you won't see many women who've had an elective Caesar with a prolapse. And you'll see less women who've had an emergency Caesar with a prolapse and less women who've had a normal birth of a small baby. But as you go down the list, the things that will potentially contribute to prolapse your connective tissue structure, family history, notwithstanding exercise and so on. Uh, if you have a big baby, and if you have a big baby and that baby has to be assisted out, and, and that's done in a considered way, but despite it, there is always going to be potentially a degree of birth trauma that comes with that to your local anatomy. And it's how we can fix that at the time and how you can rehabilitate it afterwards and what guarantees will come with that rehabilitation. So it's going in eyes wide open. Yeah. yeah, and getting onto it quickly, I guess, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Pete, thank you so much for sharing that information with us today. It's a topic that isn't talked about enough, so you've helped so many people out there today by giving them this information. 
Thank you to Mustella for sponsoring this episode. Did you know that Mustella is not only for babies and children? Mustella also has a range of maternity products like the 100% Certified Organic Stretch Marks Oil, Stretch Marks Cream and the Certified Organic Lanolin-Free Nipple Balm made up of 100% natural ingredients and dermatologist tested. Mustella is our family's favourite. You've been listening to the Expert Guide to Parenthood and never forget parents, you've got this. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, a discussion with your doctor or healthcare professional. Parents You've Got This take no responsibility for any medical decisions made by individuals based on the information provided in this podcast. Join a Parents You've Got This masterclass today to be prepared, excited and educated for pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. Visit www.parentsyou'vegotthis.com.au and sign up for a masterclass today.